this morning at something that I want to share with you about Israel when they're back just freshly out of Egypt and now they're they're up against the sea and I believe that if to make sense out of it I believe that they were probably at a place where there was a some kind of a, a not a bridge maybe but at least access across the water because God had brought them up to this place I'm reading from Exodus 13, starting at verse 21. It says, By the day the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so that they would travel by day or night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. And so we have God bringing them up to a specific place at the sea where they obviously could cross. And that's not unusual for God to do things in our lives that are very, we could look at that and say, yes, I can do that. I could, um, I could cross this river. I could, I could build that or I can, I can preach that. Yes, I can do that. And so that's in a sense where the children of Israel where at this time. And I assume there was a place across. I have no biblical reference to tell me there was. But you see, the merchants of Egypt often traveled out of Egypt, up through the promised land, up through Palestine now, and they would trade with people that came from the east. They would trade with people that come out of what is now Europe. It was more called Asia in those days, but Europe and they would trade, and they would either travel through Israel or do their trading there. And that's why some of the cities in Israel became very prosperous because of the trade. And so if these people were coming out of, out of Egypt or other nations going in with their caravans, there had to be a way across that was easy to get there. So whether it's a bridge or a gravel bottom, shallow river we don't know or shallow water we don't know it doesn't really matter all we know is that that there was a way across for these merchants when joseph was sold by his brothers he went from where abraham lived which is on the other side and they can went the of of um, the river and the red sea and those people um, that bought joseph went all the way down to Egypt. So we know there was a way. However, God does things sometimes that might confuse us. And I'm pretty sure they might have been confused when God said in chapter 14, verses 1 and 2, he said, The Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites to turn back and encamp somewhere else altogether. Now, just a minute. God led them by his cloud by day and his fire. He led them to that place. And then he turns around and says, now turn back. And that's not a small thing because after all, uh, the children of Israel, 600 men, it says, come out of Egypt. 
plus their wives, which is probably at least another 600, plus their children. They had large families. You do the math. And to turn all these people around with their flocks of goats and camels and sheep and cattle was quite a job. I'm sure people that, were led, that knew they had been led up to the crossing were questioning God, what? Why is Moses heard right? Are we, what is going on around here? But nevertheless, they obeyed the Lord. And they went back and they went to another place on the Red Sea where there is no crossing, where there is deep water, it's too wide, and they couldn't get across. And then God hardened the hearts of Pharaoh and his people. Pharaoh said, oh my goodness, we've lost our servants. We've lost the people that were building our cities. And it says God hardened his heart. And there was a reason that God turned them around. There's a reason that God hardened our hearts. And we're going to see what that reason is. But in this process, I can say in my life, there's been times in the ministry that we've been running that God has changed plans at some point. We're doing this, but then we sense out of prayer, he's saying, do this instead. The first time they... We overlapped them a bit. Our second move, we kind of kept the first move going. But I was sorry that I did because I looked back about a year later and said, I believe the anointing of this first move that God had us doing was gone at least a year ago, maybe more, because he expected us to move into the next phase of what he had in the ministry that we were running. And so it's puzzling sometimes, but we look at that and we say, God knows what he's doing. He, you know, we have to stand in faith and say, God is a, a God of truth. He's a God of wisdom and understanding. He doesn't make mistakes. And those are his character traits, and he is consistent with his character. And so we know that when God makes a change of plan, it's for his good and his kingdom's good, but it's also for our good because he has us in mind to do the best for us as well. It may be inconvenient for a time. And with that first move that we made, yes, there was uh, final financial struggles that we had to work through and pray through and, and keep our attitude right and keep our faith up. There's other struggles. Staff was changing and things were happening. We had different responsibilities. But we had to keep a hold of the fact that God had spoken to us in a vision one night by a brother that was, was a qualified brother. He heard from the Lord. We know he did. And so we took a hold of what he'd heard and we began to believe God that he would make the change took seven years for us to find out what we're supposed to do. All that time, I come under a lot of 
guilt and condemnation because I felt that was failing the Lord. But you see, the Lord is faithful. And a, and a little girl, 17, 18 years of age, I'm not sure what her age, I only met her briefly about a year and a half, two years before that. I met her at a concert. And she said, Howard, the Lord, when I saw you, the Lord gave me a word for you. And I said, okay, let's go over here. And she said, Howard, and she didn't know anything about this as far as I know. She had lived a long ways away. We weren't communicating. And she said, the Lord has said, the reason why he hasn't given you for that prophecy is because the churches are not prepared yet to support what you're doing. And this burden of I have failed or what's wrong rolled off my shoulders. And I, I confess I sat there and wept because there was such a release in my spirit. I had moved from the one phase of ministry. We now had moved to a second one, even though we didn't have the property that the second one's, the vision spoke about. We had moved because all of a sudden I was relaxed in it. And it took about another year, year and a half. And all of a sudden things began to unfold. And through some financial miracles and miracles of people doing things, we suddenly had the, the second phase of what God is doing. So with the Jews, he was doing a second phase thing. He had led them through the water. He had brought the Egyptian army into the water. And the waters went back and, of course, annihilated the enemy. Then he brought them through, and they came to the waters of Mariah. He did a miracle there. So God was proving himself all the way, and now they're up against the sea. And you see, the theologians of old, I remember hearing this when I was a young man, it said that the Israelites were between a rock and a hard place. And I thought, what, what a beautiful way to describe it. You can't go forward, you can't go back. And then the, the Israelites were terrified because out of the ball of dust that they saw, they could see Pharaoh's army coming after them. And they immediately got fearful. They immediately started to question Moses. They immediately started to reject God's promise that he would bring them through the wilderness and bring them into the promised land. Thank goodness we had one man that stood firm. It was Moses. Moses said, just hold on there. I'm paraphrasing. Just hold on there. You're going to see the hand of God today again. You're going to see it. And you see, out of all that frustration, all of a sudden, God started to do something with the water, and it started to part. He brought them out of Egypt because of the blood. He brought them through the desert to this point, and now they're facing um, the sea. I got a bit ahead of myself. They haven't been to the waters of Moriah yet, but they're at the sea. And so God is doing something. He did a miracle while they're in Egypt, put blood in the doorpost, and I'm a, my death angel will pass over you. But you see... It's so easy to forget what God has done. The psalmist said that Moses was different than the people. The people knew 
what God had done in the past. But Moses knew what God would do in the future because he knew his heart. And that's why we have to get to know the Lord if we're going to be a people of faith. And God said, I'll harden Pharaoh's heart. And he brought Pharaoh up. And he, and he says in, in verse, four, verse 4 of this passage, of, I'm at Exodus 4, 14, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue the Israelites. But I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites did this. And so, even in the New Testament, there's a place where God says, I raised up Pharaoh so I could be glorified. Here's an evil king, totally involved in the occult, no mention of God on his lips. As a matter of fact, he defied God for 10 times, and now the 11th time. And yet God says, I've, I'm doing what I'm doing. I'm putting you in a place where even though before you could have crossed, now I'm putting you in a place where it's impossible for you to cross. You see, what God told them the day before, when he led them up to the sea where it was obviously a place of getting across, then God changed his mind and brought them back to a place that's impossible. You see, with the possible, no big deal. We can do it. But with the impossible, God can be glorified. And so he brought them up to the sea. And in, the, in that miracle that he was preparing for them, he was doing two things. He would be glorified because this pile of water would develop and they'd be able to walk through and dry ground. And the second thing is he was going to destroy the army that had persecuted his people for 400 years. And so he brought them to a place to glorify his name. He brought them to a place where people back in Egypt or anybody else that heard of it, as a matter of fact, years later, when they get up to Jericho, the people in Jericho, 40 years later, had heard about the sea and about Pharaoh's army and how it had drowned. But Israel had walked through and dry ground. And they were terrified at it because now they're across the Jordan River waiting to come across. And so we have this um, situation where God says, I give you direction for the last few days. I give you direction for yesterday. But today, there's a new word for you. The new word is to turn around now and go back. And even though you may be leaving something that looked easy, I can't be glorified in that if you can do it. But if, I, if you'll turn around and go back, then I can be glorified not only in parting of the Red Sea, but in eliminating Pharaoh's army because he and his army had been so hard on you 
Now I will be glorified. And so the moves that God has made for us at the ministry, the second move where the Lord gave us property and began to unfold something that was more, far more extensive and far more um, effective in people's lives, begin to produce testimonies, begin to produce people coming to us and saying thank you. I get an email today after 37, 38 years, this young man was in our ministry, maybe 40 years, sends me an email today. Thank you, Howard, for you and the man that started with me, Carl. You added to my life. You took me out of, I come out of a prison, and within a year, the Lord had established me in a ministry, and he's still in that ministry in downtown Kitchener. You see, the Lord produced fruit because he brought us into an impossible place. We didn't have the money to buy it. We didn't have the staff to handle it. We didn't have the, the resources to start doing what I sensed he wanted us to do, but he started to provide everything. Yes, there was times of struggle. Yes, there was times of, of where I would go to the Lord and say, God, search me. Is something in me stopping everything? But he brought us through. He's a God of the impossible. If your ministry, if your life is too easy, why don't you ask God to bring you into the impossible where you can move into, step into an act of faith where you would say, okay, Lord, we can't do this. We could do the other thing where we were, but we can't do this. But Lord, we depend on you. You see, the whole issue with believing God, the enemy keeps hitting us with fiery darts, the old King James says, flaming arrows, later translations. And those are thoughts from the enemy. Oh, he's going to fail you. He's going to leave you hanging. You're going to lose the property. You can't get stabbed. Nobody wants to follow you. But you see, we had to make a decision when we get together as staff. And we had to say, we're not going to dwell on the things that are, we see as circumstance. We're not going to dwell there. We're going to remember what the Lord has said. You see, God has us in a place where we can see that the angel of the Lord is guiding us, and he does it for reasons. And he, he wants to teach us to listen every day for his word. For today, his word is fresh and new. Yesterday's word may not be what we need for today. We, may, we need a current word. We need a word that will get us through the difficulties of today. That's why I thank the Lord that early in our ministry, some people taught us how to come to the Lord, how to ask the Lord to cleanse our hearts. Search me, O Lord, know my heart. Because the Bible says in Psalm 66 and Isaiah 59, it says if there's any sin in your heart, the Lord won't heal you. He won't hear you. And you say, 
I remember one of the teachers I was listening to, he referred to those scriptures, and he says, it isn't our problem to get God to answer our prayers. It's our problem to get God to hear our prayers. So we need to say, Lord, if there's sin in my life, please, I need to confess it before these people. I need to repent of it before you so that I can come into your presence. And when we've done that, we say, Lord, I'm listening. I want to hear you. I want to know what you're saying. And so we need to be able to hear the Lord and know his voice. There's a passage of scripture that Jesus talks about in three of the four gospels. He's talking about the old wineskin and the new wineskin, the old garment sewing a patch of new cloth. And immediately, in all three Gospels, it follows this order. He talks about fasting. I believe without any doubt, if you want the new wineskin, if you want the new cloth, you have got to humble yourself before the Lord. Because the Bible says, David says it, and um, Jer I believe it's Jeremiah says it, I humbled myself with fasting. And you see, when we're in humility, which is the opposite of pride, where God is opposed. In humility, God wants to talk to us. And God wants to give us the word for today, because the word from today might be similar to yesterday, but it could be different, that will take you and steer you in a different course, so that God can be glorified in not only what he's doing in you, but glorified in the triumph over your enemy. He wants to test our faith. Understand when they were at the water and God says, turn back. Moses' faith was being tested. It's as if God says, do you, do you know me enough, Moses? Do you trust me? I'm changing directions here. Moses said, yes, I trust you. It was a test of faith for him. And you see, we've already said he did that to make the situation more beyond our capabilities to be successful in it, beyond it. The children of Israel could not have escaped from Pharaoh. They could not. They would have captured them, had taken them back. They would have been in slavery again. So it was impossible. They can't swim. They've got carts, donkeys, and horses, and cattle. Impossible. But the big thing, he says back in Exodus 12. Exodus 12, verse 12, when God was talking to Moses about the Passover, this is before they left Egypt. He was talking to them about the, the blood on the doorpost of the angel of Passover and so on. But before that, the last big disaster that came upon Egypt was the death of their firstborn. So all these things add up to glorifying God. But you see, he says in verse 12 of chapter 12, he says, on that same night, I'll pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn, both men and animals, and I'll bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt, because I am the Lord. So God was saying, all the demons that are gods in Egypt, they're going to be hit with judgment. Now, I don't know what God does to them, but they were defeated. 
totally and completely. All those gods of Egypt kept the children of Israel enslaved for 400 years, and actually 430 years they were enslaved by these demons. But God saw them through it. He brought them out. And then back in Exodus 14, I'm going to read this verse again. God went through all this struggle, all these things he was doing, so that I may gain glory for myself through what I'm doing with Pharaoh and his armies, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. They, the people that would hear in Egypt what happened to the army would have to say to themselves, the God of the Israelites is stronger and more powerful than our God. God says, I'm glorifying myself. Now, it's important that we recognize God wants to do something in your life. Father, be with each person listening to this, that your Holy Spirit would move on them in the name of Jesus. Please visit our website at jwmi.ca to find out about more information of our ministry.